This podcast is sponsored by Agape Match. Agape Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapematch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring on a guest, and in this week's case, two guests, to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a 60-second audio question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes one minute. This week's guests are married at first sight couple, Doug Hayner and Jamie Otis. Before I bring on my guests, I have a few announcements and an update. Let's start off with the update. Last week, a man called in asking about if he should ask out his neighbor. And Louie and I advised him to just, you know, if you have nothing to lose, just put it all in. And he did. He casually asked her out to brunch via text from our advice. And she replied, I would be delighted to. So they go out the next day. And what he thought was, you know, a really amazing date towards the end, she begins casually referencing her partner. And it turns out that this awesome woman that he felt he connected with in the lobby of his building and this great date he was on turned out to be a lesbian and a committed relationship, which damn, like what an update. I just want to update everyone though on that one. But like I said, if you have nothing to lose, just risk it all. But nonetheless, he has a sense of humor about it. I'm so glad. Um, Let's go on to our announcements. I finally figured out TikTok and I am reviewing your online dating profiles. As of this recording, I think I'm a few, 11 episodes deep. So if you want me to review yours, just follow the link in the episode notes to submit a screen recording of your dating profile and, you know, scroll slowly so that I can check it out. And then uh, I'll hopefully get to it on the TikTok thing. I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling trying to understand this app that is incredibly overwhelming. Anyway, also looking for male profiles right now because I have a shit ton of female profiles. So that would be great too. Let's get on that matchsticks. Another announcement. We just released our November and December dates for our women's group coaching intensive. In fact, December group is Aussie friendly. I have a few listeners from Australia who have been asking for Aussie friendly times. We got that. So check out the link in the bio if you're interested in enrolling in group. We talk about chemistry. We talk about compatibility. We talk about how to reverse engineer your search to finding someone of quality. Sign up. I would love to have you in group uh, in the coming months. All right, let's bring our guests in. Doug Hayner and Jamie Otis are the OG couple of the popular reality series Married at First Sight. After meeting at the altar six years ago, they are still happily married and have two beautiful rainbow babies, Henley Grace and Hendrix Douglas. Their journey to getting pregnant was not easy as they had many losses, unfortunately. However, like Jamie says, after the storm comes the rainbow. Doug won Jamie over with his wit, charm, and patience, just as Jamie won Doug over with her caring nature and determined spirit. Now they host the top podcast, Hot Marriage, Cool Parents together, and have a YouTube channel with over 50,000 subscribers. Jamie also hosts Married at First Sight Unfiltered, and they're currently filming Married at First Sight Couples Cam on Lifetime, which 
I personally cannot wait to see. Jamie and Doug, welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. Thank you so Uh, much for having us. Okay, so you met at the altar six years ago. How did you decide to even join Married at First Sight? I was living in Manhattan. I was actually on The Bachelor before this, and it was a bit of a nightmare for me. Um, You can just Google Jamie Otis and The Bachelor, and you'll understand why. (laughs) Why (laughs) was it a nightmare? I just was really, really awkward dating. I still kind of yeah. I'm just an awkward person in general. (laughs) (laughs) So okay. uh, works out that my husband likes awkward. Love awkward. <laughs> but um, you know, I just was really, really awkward. I had some baggage that I thought that, you know, I was going to bring into any relationship, just that I had custody of my siblings and, you know, my mom struggles with dependency issues. So she's mm. like kind of here and there and everywhere and love her to death though. But you know, just, just different things to like try to explain, I guess, uh, to someone to like a new dude dating and it just never worked out well for me, you know? So they, they had just given me a cold call asking if I was struggling. They, they do that on Merit at First Sight. And I think a lot of different shows, they like scout people to try to sign up for their shows. And they didn't say it was marriage. They said it was a love experiment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they said, well, if you're having trouble dating, would you be interested in having four experts help you? And I was like, you sure. know, I kind of just like listened, I guess, for the most part. And they just went on to say that they were like really, you know, they were really professional. They uh-huh. really took the dating seriously, that the statistic is 50-50 in America for staying married or getting divorced. And they want to see if they can change it by kind of sci- scientifically analyzing a group of people in the tri-state area and then putting them together, like on paper, they'll be perfect on paper. Can that mm-hmm. compatibility be good enough to, to like List. sustain a, a marriage? Yeah. Right. And I'm a nurse. I went to school to be a labor and delivery nurse. So science is like, I'm a, like, I'm a scientific nerd. I love, I love science and I, it wasn't working out for me. And, you know, so I was like, sure, let me, let me like go to your workshop or whatever they call it. And then it was there. They kind of broke the news that it was actually marriage and it was going to be married at first sight. <laughs> Were um, there other women in the room with you when they broke this down or was this oh, one-on-one? Yeah. And literally half the room gets up and walks out, but I'm like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but I like, I was like, that's so rude. Cause all the experts were there. The producers were there. They put this big to do on and out. You know, I, I just, I'm a people pleaser. So I'm like, I'm not going to get up and leave. Mm-hmm. That, that seems very rude. Uh, I can at least listen to the end of it. And by the end of their spiel, I was like this, you know, I highly doubt I'll even get a match because I'm going to be really honest about all this baggage, <laughs> but I can see this, you know, like they might have something. They showed that it was done in Denmark first. And so the Danish couples, it was so different than the bachelor in the sense that like, it wasn't like whimsical and fairy tales and it was like real life and it was awkward and weird, but it, it was, you could see there was chemistry between like the husband and the wife on their wedding day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And then they told me that, I, you know, it had been a year since then. And that one of the couples is trying for a, a baby. And like, all I wow. wanted so bad in my whole life was just to have a family. So I was like, wow, could that be me? one day like how old were you when you were in this room 27 you know uh, i'm a fourth generation matchmaker like my grandmother basically did whatever the danes did i suppose in this experiment and you're right you know there is going to be chemistry for a lot of people when you first meet them but it's what you said there's a high divorce rate because the focus on compatibility when we leave it to ourselves without introspectively asking like what do i need to just be happy (laughs) Not, you know, what do I find hot or good looking? Because that's where a lot of chemistry tends to lay on in the beginning. You know, chemistry is only the first few months. Compatibility is the the long life. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you're in the room. And how about you, Doug? So it it was kind of a similar 
story where I just got a random cold call. And I had, I think it was a couple of weeks where I was kind of seeing somebody and then it was just broken off and completely single living at, well, I had roommates at the time. Um, <laughs> Wait, how old were you? 30. 21, I think no. six years ago, was that? Uh, no, yeah, I was 31. 31 at the you time. Were. So I had two roommates. Um, they just happened to be my parents. They... Um, <laughs> And okay. they said, you know, we had this love experiment. Are you single and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. And um, I think they had found my information off a casting website that I had filled out at one point. So I go in and, and they do the same thing, the background and everything. And then I, I make it up to the final casting call. And there's a group of 50 or so guys in a room. And then they show the experts and they go through all of this stuff. And it's just like, yeah. And then the first time you see this person will be at your wedding at the end of the altar. And same thing, like what Jamie said, half the room gets up, walks out. I realize now that a lot of the people that got up and walked out were people that were looking to get on TV. And it made sense because a love experiment seems like it's just going to be a dating show. It's not married at first sight. It wasn't married at first sight until the very end of our time there. And then from there, you can say yes or no that you want to proceed. Then they would do this psychological background. They had a sexologist, a sociologist, a, a, a psychologist. And the way it was explained to me was, you're going to listen to everything I have to say. As long as you know I'm honest with myself and what I want, you're going to listen to all my deal breakers. I'm going to be able to paint a picture with words of the perfect spouse, uh, what I see my future like, what I see my future with this spouse like, what my goals are. And based on that information, you're going to try to find someone that's perfectly matched with that. And it seemed like a no brainer to me. You know, it, it wasn't like a scary thought. It was just like, okay, wait, so I'm going to be able to picture my, you know, paint a picture of my perfect wife and what I see her looking like. And, and she loves everything that I love or whatever it was. And um, plus they had a really good cheese platter at there and I was starving. I mean, so I started. It's the brie. Had they not had brie? Yeah. yeah. The grapes were key because they were really good. But then I got to, I got a chance to meet the experts after watching. And, you know, the one was a college professor at Harvard, um, Dr. Pepper, who was well accredited as, and I think she might even be part of the algorithm for match.com or some of the dating sites. So mm -hmm. they were taking it so serious and taking a serious approach and putting their credentials really on the line for a reality show. I felt safe. Plus, it was too weird for me to be like, no, there, there's got to be a reason why, why, I'm, why I'm here in this room, because it's just too bizarre of a concept. I stayed, I said everything about myself, and turns out that I got a match. Here I am. <laughs> there you are. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I think I would have been the people that would get up, but only because I would feel the pressure from my culture you know, being Greek, I, I assume there's a lot of other cultures like Greek cultures, but yeah, I mean, well, my big fat Greek Indian, wedding sticks out, the right? Indian kids, all the Indian kids got up and left. They're, yeah. not, they're not used to arranged marriages at all. <laughs> no, no, no. It's yeah, not about the arranged love. marriage yet. It's the whole concept of like the wedding, yeah, you know, if traditions yeah. and rituals. Right. And, yeah. It's the wedding. It's not, it's not the, I think if I told my parents, they, I think they'd be okay with it to be honest, because my parents are actually quite kind of pretty cool but I feel like I have a pressure from my community does that make sense yeah you went home and your families were cool with it or was because I've seen some episodes where some couples I don't know if this is the case with yours but 
where the parents kind of freak out. I mean, and rightfully so, but honestly, like, I love that we're talking to you like just normal human beings, but it is, it's a crazy concept in America. Like we don't have arranged marriages here in our society. Right. In our culture. We're, we're not equipped and to also, explain the show at the time. We were not equipped to explain to other adults what the show was going to be. Yeah. I, I couldn't explain it to my parents and, and I, I kind of did. And my mom, I found out later my mom cried a bit, but they kind of trust my judgment. And the only reason why the crying happened was because she thought I was making a mockery out of marriage. And she right. didn't know that I was going to take it serious or what it was. And it was just right. the fear for her firstborn child that kind of took over. You know, with my family, I had, like I said, I had custody of my siblings. So I was always kind of the, not boss, but, you know, the big sister when it comes to my younger siblings. And my, I, have, I do have an older sister as well. But for the most part, like they, like it was it's just one of those, I mean, we're siblings. I don't really have, I mean, like I said, my mom is here and there and everywhere. And so she, I did get a hold of her and she said, oh, you're going to make a beautiful bride. <laughs> and she like, doesn't care at all. <laughs> right. uh, that's my mom for you. And then my siblings, of course, were like, you're crazy. Are you sure you're going to do this? Uh, but like, I've always been their big sister kind of telling them like, you know, getting them up to go to school and things like that. So it wasn't, it just isn't in our roles for them to be like, now Jamie, you know? So I think that my family, of course, they were, my siblings were nervous because at that point they were young adults and well aware that it's a very strange thing, but they definitely trust my judgment too. Like I, I'm not someone to, you know, just do things frivolously. And, and so I think they, it's like marry a stranger. Yeah. Like, yeah, (laughs) I totally researched all of this. I mean, I feel like, so much of what Indian matchmaking is, because you've referenced Indian before, and um, and even Greek matchmaking, like, you know, prior to 1980, a lot of couples in Greece got married through matchmakers. Most anybody who has any sort of ancestry that they're familiar with, I mean, arranged marriages, that was the way. That was the norm. The dating, Indian or Right. Dating whatever. is a new concept in Europe and in Asia in the sense that it started like after 1975 for a lot of countries. Dating. Dating has, is also a new concept in America. I don't want to say a new concept, but like modern dating today is dating outside of your community and hoping you score a home run on the values. You know, prior to 1990 in America, most people met people that lived within a few blocks from each other, or maybe they went to the same church or temple, or they met at a friend's wedding. Like you can kind of assume the value set of someone. They're not complete strangers. Now dating is just dating strangers. Yeah. Uh, so then when you try to explain, oh, no, no, we're going to go back to the the OG of dating, arranged. It's like, wait, well, what? And, yeah. you know, I've met a lot of couples who have had arranged marriages. I, I went to India last year, in fact, for a matchmaking conference, for a dating conference, but I was meeting like all these Indian matchmakers. And the one thing that set, that stood apart for me, I suppose, from the experience was like how much emphasis is put on values community sub-community religion just that lifestyle like that whole thing so i'm going to assume that the experts that you worked with were also trying to judge upon your values your lifestyle your sexual appetites your spiritual inclinations right and you're going to tell me now but one of the things that that i can assume even before seeing the show is like the one way a couple could really fight up is by having sex too soon. It doesn't matter that you're married. You still need to establish the ground rules of how you communicate with each other before you have sex. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that 
that's like a tough, a tough one to, for us to figure out. I mean, we didn't have sex because I had like, even dating, I mean, well, number one, I was awkward, but B, like, I've always been a little, um, reserved, I guess, sexually because, you know, I was just, I just went through sexual abuse as a child. And so Mm. for me, I've always been like, if someone loves me, then I, you know, then I want to have sex with them. But if not, I feel like they're just using me and it's really difficult for me. Even now it's like something that I still, you know, work with. Obviously I'm fine with my husband, but I have to know that like, it's an act of love and not like an act of like just pleasure, I guess. And so I wouldn't sleep with dudes unless I knew that they really respected me and loved me. Like when I was, I was dating. So that really helped me like filter out some real, real gems because, you know, like telling date a guy for a couple of times and then not sleep with them. And you'll find out whether or not they're marriage material because you'll just see how they, how they treat you. So yeah, so we didn't have sex. Like I, I, I really did have this rule where like for two months I wouldn't sleep with someone just because you can filter out dudes like so fast, like so, so fast. And so I didn't really want to waste any time either. Like I, I didn't, I wanted someone who really like loved me, who wanted to be with me, who respected me. And you can find out if someone has all those qualities by not sleeping with them for two months straight. Let me tell you. That's true. We have in our, um, in my, one of my dating philosophies, we have the 12 date rule, which basically comes out to two months, but essentially date someone for 12 dates. Now, for those of you listening, we've talked about this formula before in previous episodes, but in case you don't remember it, one date is equal to 20 minutes minimum, three hours maximum, and you can have up to two dates in one day. So if you go on that eight-hour marathon date, that counts as two dates. Okay. And you go up to 12 dates, and yes, FaceTime dates count. You just need to have at least three physical dates before you have sex. Now, one of the couples on your season had sex the night of the wedding, for our season, but, uh, there are multiple couples going forward. I mean, now there's been 12 seasons of it who have had sex on their wedding night. And I think, I don't know. I don't know whether it's an age thing. You know, when, when you get into it, I, it was clear that Jamie and I were both ready to be married and settled down. So we had the mindset of long-term plus being in a marriage, it adds a layer of this is long-term. If I was younger, I don't know if, I mean, I was never one to really pressure anybody into having sex, you know, like it's just, I hope not. (laughs) It's more, it's more fun when it's kind of like that passionate sort of like right about to, you know, kind of take each other's clothes off, but then you're holding back and then there's always something more to look forward to. That's Um, how I kept him around. He really liked the challenge. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how it is. It does. It gives you time to connect on a, a deeper level, more mentally. And then when you talk about, sex is just like a physical thing it's a different it's a different ball game when you connect mentally and you're connected in your head and body and it's all just comes together so sometimes it'll work for people that you know may have that lifestyle um you know and i kind of knew that jamie didn't have that lifestyle and and i knew that we were gonna you know build a friendship first but i also was mature and well i'm not that mature but I'm mature enough to to be able to, you know, have that respect and want to take the process serious and go forward. So, yeah. I think by taking the time, you were both able to set up a very strong foundation for what was to come. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So um, you had experienced a few losses in pregnancy. Yeah. And do you feel 
and I'm sorry about that. I know that it's, it's tough for anyone. Do you feel that because you had that bond, you know, sometimes I think when people experience that kind of loss, it can quickly, you can quickly see a, a relationship dissolve as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Sure. Especially if you have different coping mechanisms and we definitely did uh, and still do. And it can come off as kind of like harsh, I suppose, because, you know, after we lost our son, I like couldn't get off the couch and Doug like went to school or went to work the next day. And I was like, I can't even move. I can't even brush my teeth. Like, how are you like pulling out your laptop and going to work? Like, I just don't get it. And you know, it took me going to therapy to realize that that's just how he has dealt with this significant loss is just move on, move on, move on, kind of like bury it under the rug and keep going. And like, I don't even know how he had the capacity to do that because I couldn't even try to move on. Even if like, even if I had tried, I wouldn't have been able to move on because I just couldn't even function. And so we both mm. handled that differently. And fortunately, I mean, we were still pretty new in our marriage and in our relationship, as you know, we obviously got married as strangers. So we were <laughs> married for, I don't know, like a year and a half at that point. Right, Doug? And so we were pretty new together still. And, you know, that was you, the first time we suffered something like that before. Oh yeah. We had never been prepare for no that. i don't care how long you know someone like i don't know that you can prepare for how far how far along were you i was 17 weeks pregnant wow. with, with him we had just announced the pregnancy too Ugh. on kathy lee and hoda yeah the and then the next show. the next day we found out we had to terminate well it wasn't necessarily the next day but it was it was really rough yeah. um but it's true like if we hadn't built a foundation of like that love and respect and I don't know, and loyalty towards each other. I feel like we could have easily, I mean, we could have easily been divorced after that because we handled it so incredibly differently. And I, and don't get me wrong. Like we definitely didn't do well. Like we went through a really, really bad slump. Like just, I was just super depressed. I, I imagine you were too. He just never really said the words the way that I do. You know, you also have the layer of hormones too. So like well, yeah. it's already devastating in itself, like just intellectually, yeah. but emotionally you have as a woman, no control. I think about, you know, we both, um, so you have a three-year-old, yeah. And a four month old. I also have a three year old and a four month old. So five yeah. month old soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so like the one thing that I reflect on every time that both times I've given birth is like, holy shit, the hormones right after are insane. Yeah. It's even I'm still, still it's like five months I'm later. And I'm like, I'm like a, like I feel, and I hate to use the word crazy lightly because there is such a stigma with mental illness and being called crazy and all the things, but I do not feel stable. Like I was literally at the doctor's today because I mean, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and that I mean, sucks, yeah. let's like, let's be honest, it's COVID. So like anybody, everybody's probably yeah. diagnosed with postpartum depression after they have Yeah. They age. give you those tests when you go to the pediatrician and you're like, uh, yeah, I've, yeah, it's like, do you feel anxiety? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. sleep more? Well, I wish I could. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I do. Yeah, no, it's so true. I can definitely tell, I feel like I'm fortunate in the sense that I've had a child already at Henley. And so I know with her, I definitely didn't have postpartum depression. Like I was, you know, of course I was tired and I was anxious and I was, you know, all the things, cause she was my first baby that I was taking care of. Cause obviously our first time we lost, but this time around, it's like, it's, it's very, very debilitating. Unfortunately, yeah. it's like, and I, I hate it's to good talk that about you're it. getting the help. No, talk about yeah, it. It's good that you're you. getting help though. I think that's, yeah, we no, need to absolutely. normalize this. You oh my know, gosh, we need I to stigmatize to... asking for help. I a hundred percent agree. I think that it's when you're in the midst of it, I think I, cause I'm a very open 
book usually on Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, very much so on Instagram and social media. And it's interesting to me that I don't really share as much about this because when you're in the midst of, it's very easy to share things when you're, when you've overcome it and you have like the solution and you've like conquered it. But for me, I'm like kind of still in the, in like the trenches and it's just a little more difficult to share it when you're in the midst of it. But I'm trying to be as open as I can be because I feel like that's, that's how other people know that how they're feeling is okay too. Like I wish I could see someone else going through what I'm going through so I could be like, okay, I'm not the only one who's quote unquote crazy. Three points to this. The first point is you're not crazy. (laughs) No, of course. I know. (laughs) Um, The second point, I'm not suffering from PPD, but I will admit, this is probably the first time I'm publicly admitting this, that I feel like such a failure every day in the sense that like, um, I hate that my three-year-old is on the iPad now in the fall because my my nephew's no longer over the house for, you know, grandpa day camp. And so my son spends mm-hmm. more time on the screen because I need to spend time with my four-month-old, soon to be five-month-old. My husband works from eight to four and then we switch and I work then from four to eight, but then I have meetings or I have podcast reports. like, it's like, there's not enough hours in the day and I'm a yeah. business owner with employees and it's, they also have young kids. So it's like, every night, like there have been times where I've had like a few panic attacks and, you know, we just finally found a nanny to start in December. Like it's been so hard to find someone even just to help out. And it's just that I can, I can just work in the mornings. That's all I want is to feel human and just work in the morning. I get it. Like I totally, it's not PPD, but it's something else. It's like you have the hormones. It's still there. They're not gone, but you're just trying to manage your day with them. The third point, I think this is one of the most important points that I can make, especially for this podcast. I've said this before, the person that you choose to marry and in your choice, you didn't choose someone else chose for you mm-hmm. is the most important decision you'll ever make. I can agree and with that. <laughs> it is true. I mean, for, and for, for women, it's the most important one because, you know, the biggest threat to a woman is, is her husband. You know, that's the, that the highest rate, I think, of murder. <laughs> is by spouses really yeah. yeah i watch a lot of date i love how i love how your husband was like yeah <laughs> that's why i don't have any she should know that. i'm not, i watch a lot of dateline and i do see that i didn't know that that was a true statistic it's always the spouse but i it is always the spouse and i told doug we are never getting uh life insurance never ever ever am i getting life insurance oh, because on. they kill you for the life insurance well okay if your life insurance is only like three hundred thousand, no one no one's killing you for three hundred thousand. i feel like my college. husband might <laughs> oh my <laughs> god anyway so to go to the original third point the third point that i want to make is that I think you're, I don't know if this is the case. I hope it is, but it's important to choose good partners because you're going to need that partner after pregnancy or even loss of pregnancy to advocate for your well being when you just can't see it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, these hormones, like I remember this one time after my first, I, my judgment was so clouded like two weeks out that I needed my husband to advocate for me to others. Oh my God. That's what I do right now though. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, that's like, literally I cannot make decisions. I can't function from one task to the other. Like, I, I I don't know. Like, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I feel cloud is like the right word. Like, it's just so cloudy. Like my brain is. Like you start fighting. I remember I started to fight. I knew my judgment was clouded because I started fighting with him for, um, he, I was making um, like this Greek dish, pasticcio, and I was making the minced meat like in the stew. And my husband decided to cut the onions, but he didn't simmer them. And 
you would think that World War Three had begun. It's a big like, step. I just started freaking out. And like looking back on it, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? This is over onions. And also my husband, his reaction to it was not like, you're an insane person. He was just like, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Are you? So and that's when I realized like, you know, a day later, I was like, wow, I'm really lucky. Like this person didn't freak out on me because I've seen that happen where it's like, yeah. That's All right, of your husband, you got a yeah. good one. So now, what's going on? Other than no children, your podcast though is targeted. Is it targeted more towards like women, couples? Like what I, you know. So it's really kind of. Um, we're probably it's going, our own therapy. It's honestly yeah. No, it's it's definitely targeted targeted towards. We definitely have a more of a female audience, but it's targeted towards like parenting and marriage and whether you mm. fall in both or one or the other, mm. uh, like as far as like relationships, uh, not even necessarily Sex, marriage. drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's <laughs> a little, I think, I feel like it's a bit broad and maybe we could like rein it in a little bit, but we, t- mm. I tend to like having a, like a bunch of different, you know, experts for different things come on. Like so far we certainly we, man- we managing, it. managing kids and, being able to talk through what new parents kind of go through. But then also um, just like relationship stuff. But not holding anything back. I think yeah. that's Oh, that's I love it. It's definitely, it. yeah. yeah, it's definitely confessional. If you're listening, you should totally subscribe to Jamie and Doug's podcast, Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. We will put a link in the episode notes. Jamie and Doug, how do you feel about answering some dating questions? Let's do it. it. Hello, this is Amanda. I'm calling from San Francisco and I have a question about chemistry and compatibility. And so if you know that you're mainly compatible with somebody based upon your five pillars that you talk about, but you don't initially feel like the chemistry or you're just not like super excited about this person, but you do know in other ways that you're compatible, how does it happen where you're just so excited about this person and what should your mindset be? And when do you know that you have to move on? Like, when do you know that it's not going to be turning into something that you've, you've manifested? Right. That's a great question. Yeah. So just to give you some background of what she just mentioned, this is definitely a true believer of matchmaker Maria. <laughs> I have, I have so many thoughts on this, but go yeah. ahead. Well, she mentioned the five pillars and we, we say at Agape Matches that compatibility, while it rests on values and values can still be a part of the pillars, it's physical compatibility, spiritual compatibility, intellectual compatibility, financial compatibility, and intellectual compatibility. So she's saying, essentially, if all four are aligned, you know, financial, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, how long do you need for physical compatibility to catch up? And I love that this question, you are on this podcast when this question came in. Yeah, it couldn't be more perfect. Call me old fashioned, but... I always think, or anytime in the past, there's there's some air of something that you get a feeling about. And I'm always one to say, just because I've seen my sister go through this all the time, where it was almost like somebody's better than nobody, but then she'll talk her way out of being compatible with somebody. And when you put a lot of thought into it and I'm not knocking the five pillar type thing, but when you start to take a checklist off the bat before you become compatible, it's very, very dangerous because if you find something is not up to your expectations, you're never going to, in my opinion, reach that compatibility. If you don't have the physical compatibility and let's say pillar two and three aren't 
really up there. Your expectations are saying, okay, well, this is probably not going to work out, or then you don't give it a chance. And so then it doesn't work out. And when there's a lot of thinking that's involved, it's very, very difficult to allow yourself to get to that point and just to let down your guard and let down your barriers and open yourself up to somebody. If you're thinking that much about A, B, C, and D, it's very hard to get to the end goal for you. I don't know, if, especially if you don't have the initial attraction. I do believe that, and I've said this many times on the podcast, I do believe that men need to absolutely be attracted to a woman for there to be a second date. Really? It does not matter how perfect she is. And like, if he's not attracted to her within the first two minutes of meeting her, your husband is nodding yes this whole time. So 100%. Right. With women, it's the opposite. With mm-hmm. women, women are way more forgiving. I think this was the case with, with you two, right? Yeah. You know, when I first saw him in my wedding dress and he was in his tux at, at our wedding, I had never, <laughs> I didn't know his name or, you know, I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know where he lived. I didn't know his occupation. I knew nothing about him. And, you know, I opened up my own wedding door since <laughs> <It's> reality TV. <laughs> so, so I guess I didn't have someone to open the door for me, <laughs> but anyways, I opened up the door to like let myself in to walk down the aisle and I see him immediately and I was like, oh no, like I didn't get like any sort of chemistry or butterflies or anything. I just, I don't know why. I think I just got really scared to be very honest. And I was like, oh my God, this is so real. And, and I wasn't immediately attracted to him, which mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, people still stone me for it. But like, cause he's obviously very attractive and he's a great guy and a great catch. I was just kind of like, was like, this isn't going to work out. I, I'm not attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And I went ahead and said I do because I felt really I didn't want to make a, a scene contractually you had to and, well we didn't really have to I kind of said no um they wouldn't have forced me to but I didn't really want to make a scene I knew that we weren't really signing the marriage license until the day like a day later so I was just like I do with a big thumbs up and a cheesy smile and was like okay let's see how this works and it took me to like calm the F down, <laughs> like to have, it was actually our producer. She was like, remember what the expert said? Like, cause they had said they liked him so much and that he really was like such a great guy and he was their favorite for the season. And I was like, so I had such high expectations going into this for me, first date with him. Mm-hmm. So like for anyone listening, like it'd be like your first date with whoever you're with. I had such high expectations. And so I don't, unless he was Brad Pitt, like who is like my little, my crush, I would have been like, nope, I'm not into him. Like right. I just, I just, I just had the expectations way too high. But to the point of like the question, which is like, how long do you continue to date someone who you're not physically compatible with or who you think you're not physically attracted to? I would say, I mean, for us, the big misconception in the Married at First Sight world is that Doug waited for so long for me to have some sort of attraction. And honestly, it really wasn't that long. Like I, I, four days. Well, I don't know. I wish you could see Doug's face. It's like, he's just like rolling his eyes (laughs) and smiling. It's so cute. Yeah. I know how the story ends. Yeah. But it's um, really good. (laughs) But no, it it didn't take that long in TV world. I guess it may have seemed like it, but in real life, it was literally like four or five days before, Mm -hmm. you know, we were like all over each other in bed, Mm -hmm. you know, like not to toot my own horn, but it also takes it takes someone to not get offended. Yes. And someone, and I'm very confident in myself and, and who I am. And I recognize that she was scared and nervous and this is a wacky experiment, but we are going to have time together. And 
I didn't get offended by any of it, you know, like I, and, but I, I also didn't see it as like a, uh, like a, not so much of a chase. It was just like, let's, you know, I, I really want to see how this plays out now in the real world matchmaking without the marriage. I don't know if it would have worked out. It you know? probably wouldn't have because I would have been the first day yeah. and I would have been like, Oh, I'm not into and, him. And I wouldn't have given him a chance. And in this day and age, you're only as committed as your options. If you know there's so many other options out there, you're not going to be as committed to the person you're with as soon as you find something that goes wrong. I mean, even in the process, you're not as committed to the process. Like I have this problem with some of my matchmaking clients. I'm clearly sending them, you know, an attractive person that they're going to go out with, but they might also have Bumble or Hinge in their back pocket. And Mm -hmm. so they see the profile that I've sent them. Someone I had to vet 30 people to choose that one person based on compatibility factors. And then they get that profile and they're like, oh yeah, she's cute or he's cute. Then they open up their phone and it's like, oh, look at all these other options I have, which I'm like, no one's vetted these people. You don't know if they're currently single. You don't know if they're currently emotionally available. You don't know if they're narcissists. You don't know. Like I vetted for you. Why are you And also you don't even me? know if they really look like their picture because true, true. true. Don't, so. And here I am like meeting people. I will say just like you, Jamie, it took me about, I think three or four dates to be, you know, physically attracted. And you know what I noticed? It's that not that my husband's not a cutie pie. I think he's totally a cutie pie. And obviously Doug is a cutie pie as well. I think, I think sometimes, and this is specifically to women, not to men. When I met my husband, he just didn't look familiar to me. Like if I look at all of my previous ex-boyfriends who were trash, like not all of them, but a lot of them were just not good people to date in general, not even just for me, just in general. Um, They looked a certain way. Maybe they were more athletic. Maybe they had more square jaws. Like they just looked different. And here's my husband who, you know, works at the Harvard School of Public Health in a laboratory all day wearing a lab coat, you know, and he's got a receding hairline and I don't think he's ever seen the inside of a gym, you know? So it's like, you know, he's lanky. I kind of, I don't want to say, I'm not trying to talk bad about my husband. This is not bad. It's just the reality of what he looks like. And I was just like, am I physically attracted to this person? And then as I got to know him, it just grew. It just immediately, it's like the, you have a three-year-old. So maybe you'll appreciate what I'm about to say. You know, at the end of Moana, when, do you know when like when the, vol- the, the island, what is it? Tefiti. She like goes like this. And then the, the grass starts flourishing. That's what it felt like. All right, let's go to our next question. Hi, Matchmaker Maria. It's Julie. I live in London and I'm 31 years old. So I have a question for you around paying for the first date. You responded to a question on your story that if you offer to pay for a first date, you shouldn't be surprised if the person says yes. And if you don't want to pay on a first date, then don't offer to pay at all. So this has always been an awkward part for me. I like guys that take me out, but if I don't offer to pay, how do I show my appreciation? Thank you. That is such a good question. Doug, you can answer I, this, but I actually don't have any. I have no oh, idea. Really? I, want, um, I want to hear the male perspective because I have my own answer, but I want to hear a man say it first. I have always, always been the one to pay. Just that's always been my mindset since high school going on dates in high school mm-hmm. is I'd want to be the one to pay I do appreciate it sometimes when the girl asks to put in or offer as I got older I started seeing that as almost like the girl is less interested <laughs> in me when she started to say no I want to pay half the bill 
-hmm. like she didn't enjoy my company. Um, Interesting. So I'm so glad you're saying this because I have my own ideas about this. And okay, so I'm going to tell you what I think. And I want you to tell me, I know you're just Doug. You're not speaking on behalf of men, but you're a dude. So dude perspective time. Okay. So here's what I say. So there's a few things. One, I don't think men like the fake purse grab. True or false? True. Who likes fake anything? I don't know if I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if I've seen the fake purse grab sometimes, but yeah. Like, like the bill comes out, oh, like you kind of put your hand out like, oh, do you, do you want mm. help with that? That's what they say. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, why are you even asking this? You know, here's what I always say. There's just, there's two ways to, there's, I think three things that I always say here. So the first thing is if you don't want to pay, don't offer to pay. If you're a woman mm. who does not want to pay, just do not offer to pay. When the bill yeah. comes, say just, thank you. <laughs> just like, like, don't even look at it. Don't even acknowledge it. Just keep talking to him. He will grab it. He will pay for it. And once he does, that is when you say, thank you so much for dinner. Mm-hmm. That's the first time you say it. Then when you get to your cab or you get to your respective homes, or you know, I don't know how everyone's going home, but the next time you say thank you is when you depart. Again, when you say goodbye to each other, you say again, thank you again so much for dinner. So I need you to say thank you two times. So that, that's that. Mm-hmm. Now, I also believe just what Doug's, I think, touched on, if a woman offers to pay for half when she's totally not interested in going on a second date, I think that is perfectly acceptable. A man might not choose to let her pay. There are plenty of, there's a lot of men who are in the status quo of not allowing mm-hmm. a woman to pay, but it might also give the vibe of, oh yeah, this is not working. That's the vibe I always got from, from that, you know, like, oh, let me, and it's, especially if it's like, it's nice when you say, okay, oh, well, you know, let me, let me throw in on that or let me pay for half. But then, if I say, no, 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 totally, totally fine. If you ask again, if the girl asks again, I know she's not interested. That's not true. So yes, no. she's, <laughs> no. half, she's not interested in the that, guy. Well, I'm speaking and, from my own perspective. But Doug, I'm also going to say that. I want to hear what Doug, I want to hear first what Doug, how Doug perceives this. Right. So, but as, as a guy, it may be a little different, but I don't expect any big grand gesture in return, except for just a thank you once then and a thank you before we part ways. And as a guy, that's when I know the girl is interested by the way she says the second thank you before, mm. whether you're saying good night or if it is Why? in the cab or dropping off, like, thank you so much. Cause girls will get kind of like a little sparkle in their eye and they'll kind of turn and like just turn their heads in a certain way and kind of you can you can tell when they're a little bit giddy and that's the satisfaction for a guy that knows that the girl is interested in him and then that's when it starts now i just have to give my perspective because i was someone you know i grew up super poor had no Mm -hmm. money and so for me i i don't know why but like i like I always paid for, sometimes I was trying to pay for the meal to kind of like prove myself that like, I'm not poor and that, you know, that I'm thankful or all these things. And it doesn't, it did not mean that I wasn't into the dude. It just was my own, my own, I don't know, my own. But do you think that, do you think that that's how men perceived it? Maybe not, I guess. I told you I was already so, asked. <laughs> I'll give you, I have a follow-up question to this, but for instance, I had one of my clients, female clients recently admitted that when she was on a great first date or great third date, and this is a follow-up question to you, Doug, she was on a great third date and he's paid for the first two. So when he went to the bathroom, she paid the bill. 
I had a look of horror when she told me this because to me, I think a man could feel emasculated by that, especially if it's a male bartender or a male waiter. And that you did that, not in front of him, but while he was in the bathroom. I feel like I have to- I think it depends. Uh, You know, like- A woman's allowed to pay. It's 2020. Totally. And- Oh, I'm not saying a woman's allowed. Of course, women are allowed to pay. (laughs) I totally advocate for it. I I mean, it's, I think that might be a case by case basis. Because the third date is like right at the tipping point of when it Mm -hmm. becomes something. And I, I think, you know, by the- towards the end of the second date, whether it's a thing. So I would see it as kind of cute, but like, haha, well, now I owe you the next one or something like that, you know, but I wouldn't take it as, as that. I would, if she offered to split then, then yeah. But if she pays for the whole thing, it's kind of like, okay, haha, you got me. And it's kind of that little, not so much of a competitive thing, but it's almost like, you know, like it's like a flirty in a way. Okay, let's say a guy is paying for the first date, second date, third date. How far along do you think a woman should start offering to pay? When it's the guy's idea of what to do, I, I always felt that should be something to pay. Even if in, in early in the relationship, if a girl suggests, let's go do something, I would still want to pay, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it as not interested if the girl offered to throw in or purchase movie tickets if she wanted to go see a certain movie ahead of time. Like, but I think the guy, I mean, it's, you know, girls are a little bit different nowadays and I get where Jamie's coming from because, you know, girls do want to feel like they're independent and, you know, guys should let them feel that way and never, I never wanted a girl to feel like she should depend on me to do this all the time. That's kind of a a weird situation. I think that if it's the girl's idea, I think it's okay for the girl to pay at that point, but still the guy should offer to pay. This is why dating is miserable because there's so many rules. People have different philosophies. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's exhausting. Well, how would you show gratitude, Jamie? Like if you were dating Doug, you weren't married. If you were dating, you've been dating for six weeks. And he's paid for all the dates. You constantly are saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You wouldn't have Honestly, I would have paid. Yeah. Like I said, like I would have paid and I was, I was pretty persistent about it because it is an insecurity of mine. So also I don't want to owe someone like a thank you. Totally. I want to be like, I want them to know that I'm not, A, I'm not using them, that B, I'm perfectly fine to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying your company and everything, but I don't want to like, I don't want you to pay for everything. So then I, mm-hmm. I feel like I owe you or, or maybe even wonder if you have expectations of me then. Yeah. So I would always right. just offer to pay. And- now, the whole the whole pay thing though, I don't want it to fall into a tricky area because I would never expect special favors from a girl just because I'm paying for meals or paying for things right. that we're doing but you do um, want to be appreciated right, I, I do but that's, you know, that's done by someone... i would rather us be hanging out and just having a deep conversation and then that leads to intimacy and fit, being physical mm-hmm. with each other i never would want someone to feel like they owed me physical intimacy because i'm paying for meals like that's oh, that's slimy in my opinion yeah that's slimy. i want to i want to show you a screenshot someone sent me a woman went out with a guy she sent this to me on my dms and she said hey name my day is going pretty well blah 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 i should be honest with you because i think you're a really good person despite having great time last night i just didn't feel much of a romantic connection and he replied back with a 19 dollar <laughs> apple pay request 
And I just, she said, how do I even respond? And I just told her, just respond with LOL. <laughs> that's it. Right. Like, that's how much give a thumb, dignity give is a worth. Give up, a thumbs up emoji. Like, what? You know, and this led that me to. She caught on so fast. Like, good riddance. Never give us so, another chance. This is going to sound insane, but I come from a culture, and I'm sure there's other cultures like this, where parents tend to give their sons a dating allowance. So when I was, this, when this I was. Yeah, when I was in my 20s and I was dating in New York and I was single, I was telling my dad, you know, like the whole conversation about like who pays or whatever. And my dad said, you shouldn't be dating anyone who can't afford to date you. Now, when I met my husband, my husband, you know, was an academic, no, not a big salary. I was extremely mindful on all of our dating experiences. What's going to be the most affordable for both of us? But what I think my dad was saying is like, if you can't afford to date, you shouldn't be dating is not, oh, can he take you to like the four seasons? That's not mm -mm. what he's saying is what family is he coming from or what job does he have that he's the social expectation is X. So why is he not providing for Y like this sort of whatever? And then that's what I realized because I come from a family where it's two daughters, myself and my sister, we don't have boys, but you know, asking my husband, like, when we go to Greece, my father-in-law to this day gives my husband, here's a dating allowance to take your wife out for a date. Like, and awesome. I have, because they don't, you know, if women aren't allowed to pay and, but they have the same salaries as the men, who's paying for this difference? It's like, oh, right. parents are going to help you. So I have, I've known people, even when I, you know, I went to undergrad in Greece. And so my, all my first boyfriends were Greek. And I remember like their parents gave them money when we would go out for dinner or movies it was like the dating budget. And I'm like, okay, I have a son now. So, okay. All right. We'll see what that looks like, you know? And I just think, I don't know. I think, I think my dad was trying to tell me like something else, which is like, you know, there is a societal expectation and it's like, where are they coming from? But at the same time, like I said, when I met my husband, you know, he's an academic. He's, he did not have that kind of salary to, you know, these extravagant $200 date nights at Michelin star restaurants. Right. right. There's nothing wrong with that. I know plenty of couples who do that. That was just not our reality. So I was waiting, you know, our second date was we did the Boston Freedom Trail. Um, awesome. walked it for like four hours and it was honestly like the best. We had such a great time. And you guys had Chinese on top of a box. Yeah. I mean, we sat on the floor pretty, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I think that's... With a cameraman the, next to you, no less. It yeah, wasn't even like two, two of you. <laughs> two cameramen. And a producer um, hiding in the back. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the kind of the fun of dating in the beginning is you're, you're figuring out what, what your means are and what's meaningful to both of you without going outside of yourself. If you feel the need to impress beyond what you can afford in this, like that's not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, you. or woman. Um, you know, if, yeah. if you're being taken to a $200 dinner the one night and then the second date you're getting takeout because he has to wait for his next paycheck, like that's not a quality guy. That's not good guy. either. I, I think, wouldn't say it's not a quality guy. That, I would say I, he doesn't know how to manage money, well, which that, would be a, a really big red flag. Financial here. compatibility is a, is pretty important. Right. So yeah. well, I, I feel like you should put yourself first like somebody should love you and get to know you without seeing the material stuff so having dates like coffee going for a walk or you know sitting on a park bench and just people watching going on like, the boston boston freedom trail yeah, trail. yeah. you know like those are those are ways to get to know somebody and then totally 
then the expensive date should be because you want to celebrate your together. Milestones, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, those should be things you do together. Not just take someplace, someplace fancy yeah. for her to impress them. And I don't Maybe, think it's weird yeah. to get that out of the way in the beginning of the conversation is just, you know, having the conversation about, well, once you're comfortable with each other, but having that conversation about, you know, what do you see as like a really fun date? Or, you know, like those are little introductory questions to kind of get a feel for who you're dealing with. Financial compatibility is such a big part. And I always tell people, you know, financial compatibility has nothing to do with money. It has to do with lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. part of that lifestyle equation, you know, if you were to make lifestyle a math formula, it's how I value the way I spend my money plus how the way, the way I value the way I spend my time. And so time and money, like this is what equals mm-hmm. lifestyle. And it's not, you know, the financial compatibility is such a big part. And it's, it's, it's exactly what Doug said too. It's, and also, Jamie, you know, you said, you know, you want to, your insecurity, you're saying it was making you want to pay and just show, hey, I can pay this. And I think that's perfectly acceptable. I don't think if you had offered to pay with Doug, Doug would have been, oh, well, she doesn't like me or something. I think he would have, if you communicated to him, like, this is why I want to pay. I think he would have accepted that. I mean, I never communicated it because, you know, but, but I'm um, saying if the circumstances yeah. were different. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie and Doug, this was incredible. Thank you so much for answering those questions and having this dialogue. I think the listeners are just going to be so happy with your perspective. How can people find you other than the crazy amount of links I'm about to add into the episode notes with everything? Well, they can follow us, you know, if they're, if they're interested anywhere. But I, I love Instagram. That's like my jam. So it's at Jamie. And Otis. And mine is at Doug Hainer. We do a family blog similar to our podcast, which is Hot Marriage School Parents. So um, you can find some fun videos there. Again, it was amazing having you. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you love what you heard and you have not already, rate, review, and of course, subscribe. Go tell your friends. The next time your friend is complaining to you about dating or, hey, if they're complaining to you about he made me pay during a date, you send them this episode and hopefully they'll binge the remaining episodes of this podcast. You know we only love to make it grow. If you have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com to submit a 60-second audio question. And of course... If you follow me on Instagram at Matchmaker Maria, you can always send me questions on Wednesdays when we do Ask a Matchmaker or in my DMs the rest of the week. Warning, you know I screenshot and that's just going to go up to the masses. Until then, be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.